0: This is I Fought the Law, the law being corporate media and its shilling for global arms dealers and fossil fuel companies as it cheers on global war and planetary destruction. I'm your host, Dennis Pro. I'm a journalist, novelist, educator, and media critic. Our first segment is called Dispatches, and today's dispatch is The Invaders, Alien Beings from a Dying Empire. The Invaders, alien beings from a dying planet, their destination, the Earth their mission to make it their world. It began with the landing of a craft from another galaxy. Now, David Vincent knows that the invaders are here. that they have taken human form. Somehow, he must convince a disbelieving world that the nightmare has already begun. That was the opening of a piece of 50s paranoia that ran on TV in the mid-60s. These creatures from another planet are just like us, but some of them have a deformity, a pinky finger that sticks straight up. Each week, architect Vincent tried to tell people that the planet was in danger, launched by a deadly foe that did not mind wiping out all life on Earth to make way for this alien life form from a planet whose inhabitants assumed human shape but showed no emotion. Unfortunately, the invaders still walk among us. They resemble ordinary politicians, except their rhetoric is much more bellicose. They threaten the rest of the planet and at every moment attempt to push war and halt peace. They have ordinary names like Newland, Sullivan, Blinken, and Biden. And you can tell them not by their extended pinkies, but by their use of the word democracy as an excuse for their desire for planetary dominance. They disrupt the flow of goods and the peaceful development of the resources of that part of the Earth called the Global South in order to maintain their dominion. They are especially active in what was once called Eurasia. When they saw the possibilities for shared resources with Russia and Western Europe, they immediately went into disruptor mode in order to further promote their own oil and gas and maintain their dominance over their Caucasian vassals. Make no mistake about it, they are invaders. They themselves recently revealed they have launched 251 military interventions since the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, and 469 since the invaders arrived in the U.S. in 1798. The greater contemporary danger, though, for these creatures, for whom peace is an alien concept, is the coming together to share resources and aid that is the mutual development of the landmass of Eurasia. This danger is led by China's Belt and Road Initiative, which, despite its problems, aims to be a bridge between the developing countries and Europe with the trade on this new Silk Road raising living standards all along the way. The aliens in the U.S., already reeling from their failure to decimate Russia in their Ukraine proxy war, as 87% of the world's population refuses to commit to the war, have now set their sights on destroying the Belt and Road Initiative, which they see as a challenge to their mission to control the Earth, to keep it exclusively their world. What they pose as the alternative to the Chinese rising tide which lifts all boats is endless destruction and a kind of mafia protection racket. Either you are with us or against us, and if you are against us, we are coming for you, and you will be destroyed. This is the Biden-Blinken-Sullivan-Newland logic, and... As they clamor for a rules-based order, behind the braying lies the power of their alien weapons, now spread out in 800 military bases in over 80 countries, while China, the country they present as a major military threat, has one foreign base in one country. The way of life of this alien race is crumbling as their leader, who they call the Biden, walks the streets of Ukraine with a fake air raid siren to make it seem he is in danger, while they ignore their own people who are dying in a chemical spill, and then a purposeful explosion that may have decimated the drinking water and livelihoods of one-third of their own world, making it far more dangerous for the Biden to walk the streets of Palestine, Ohio, where he does not dare to go, than those of Kiev. David Vincent had to go person to person in the late 60s to warn about these alien invaders, as people refused to wake up to the danger they posed. It's far more difficult for the David, Diane, Denisha, and Devon Vincents of today because the aliens have captured all means of communication in their world and emit an endless stream of blather, utterly out of touch with the geopolitical realities of the world around them. Behind the wall, patrolled by their alien devices which censor all global perspective, they reward their lying media as just recently A daily newspaper now taken over completely by these creatures, the New York Times, was awarded the prestigious Polk Award for their coverage of the war in Ukraine, a completely one-sided and often inaccurate view of the war with almost no reporting on how and why the war started, and recently not one word written about the revelations that their alien masters blew up the Russian Nord Stream pipeline. Can the drive toward death and destruction by these alien creatures and their mad lust for power be stopped before they destroy the earth in their attempt to make it their world and to keep the rest of the world from rising? The architect David Vincent tried to spread the word, but it will take all of us to build a peaceful world and rid this one of this ever more dangerous alien menace. Our guest today on I Fought the Law is Gerald Horn a prolific author and historian whose latest book is The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery, Jim Crow, and the Roots of American Fascism, and who's also written, for our purposes today, since we're going to talk about the war in Africa, From the Barrel of a Gun, the United States and the War Against Zimbabwe. Hi, Gerald. Hello, hello. Good to see you here. Um, Okay, this segment is titled, Me, Tarzan, You are either with us or against us, Joe Biden's Africa policy. The U.S. is upset because Africa has largely remained neutral in the proxy war in the Ukraine against Russia. What really caught their attention, though, and prompted an immediate uh, call by Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, was that South Africa, the third largest economy in Africa and often seen as a bellwether for how the continent will react, engaged in naval maneuvers last month with Russia and China. How has the continent generally reacted to the effort by the U.S. to draw it into this war?
1: Well, the response has been lukewarm at best, and I think that's for a complicated set of reasons. Uh, Number one, the North Atlantic countries do not necessarily have a savory reputation in independent Africa. Within the lifetime of many leaders is a very unpleasant encounter with European colonialism, Portuguese colonialism in Angola, Mozambique, Guinea-Bissau, not to mention French colonialism through a good deal of African fact, you can make the argument that France's pretensions of being a major power still rest upon its neo-colonial relationship with many independent African states. And then, of course, France in particular has been implicated in, in many outrageous atrocities in Africa. I'm thinking of 1947 when tens of thousands in Madagascar were massacred by the French colonialists, not to mention the uh, bitter war of independence culminating in Algerian independence in 1962, uh, where before that date, you had uh, multiple massacres uh, by the colonialists uh, from France. And so it's very difficult for African states now to somehow see uh, this war in Ukraine spearheaded by the North Atlantic countries as being on the side of the angels, and I haven't even talked about the role of the United States of America, a major beneficiary of the unlimited African slave trade, which, by the way, deposited my ancestors on these shores, not to mention the fact that the United States was a major supporter and supplier of apartheid South Africa before independence in 1994. However, the problem for the North Atlantic countries is this, to the extent that they boycott Russia and Russia's natural gas, petroleum, uranium, that makes them more dependent upon natural gas from Algeria, petroleum from Angola, Nigeria, Gabon, which, of course, that latter country, President Macron, recently visited, uh, not to mention uranium uh, from uh, Namibia. So one would expect some sort of uh, adjustment in the relationship between the North Atlantic countries in and Africa because of this uh, ongoing dependency factor, but it's going to be very difficult for the North Atlantic countries to make that adaptation. The, you need look no further than Italy and Prime Minister Maloney, uh, who, of course, has been a, a real Afrophobe, if I can. Point a term uh, with regard to lambasting uh, nationals of Italy who happen to have roots in Africa, not to mention the migrants who are crossing the Mediterranean uh, to Italy. And so this leaves quite a problem for the North Atlantic countries. And as of now, it's unclear how the situation will eventuate.
0: You know, you've given us a great historical, uh, you know, answer to this question. Um, Now, colonial domination did not end with independence. This persistence is depicted beautifully in the opening of Ousmane Sembène's film Zala, where the Senegalese take over the National Chamber of Commerce and chase the French out of the country, only in the next scene to have them return with briefcases full of money, as the French bankers then position themselves behind the Senegalese economic leaders with the idea that it's they who are calling the shots, You can see this in Sembène, Senegal, and the rest of West Africa, which the French still persist in calling Francophone Africa, as France still functions as the guarantor of the West African currency and, until recently, required those countries to deposit half of their foreign reserves in France. How is this post-colonial legacy being resisted in Africa? Oh, it's being resistant on all fronts, uh, although
1: the odds right now are not as promising as they should be. I should also say that independent Africa is receiving significant uh, assistance, for example, from the People's Republic of China, and there hangs a tale because uh, China has been in the forefront of building infrastructure uh, on the African continent, uh, the sparkling new headquarters of the African Center for Disease Control, and Ethiopia was built with Chinese assistance. That's good news for the health of Africans. Bad news for Ebola and COVID nineteen. You have railways leading out of Addis Ababa, the capital, uh, to Djibouti uh, on the Red Sea, uh, built with Chinese assistance. You have railroad railways leading from Nairobi in Kenya to Mombasa on the Indian Ocean coast, built with Chinese assistance. And so China is a major factor in the economy of many African states, and that's really roiling the waters right now. Because to refer to our previous question and comment, China is now being accused by the North Atlantic powers, at least by the United States of America, of violating U.S. imposed sanctions against Russia It has been suggested that China is about to send so-called lethal weaponry to Russia, although China denies that. And so a new Cold War is emerging, and Africa either A, does not want to be part of that Cold War, or B, certainly does not want to ally with the former colonial masters and present neocolonialists speaking of the uh, North Atlantic powers. And then Africa on its own, by dint of the African Union, is seeking to consolidate its resources uh, by dint of the African uh, Continental Free Trade Area, uh, which is a step towards a kind of Africa version of a kind of more progressive European Union, that is to say consolidation of African economies under one umbrella. And so this process is moving forward, and I think it helps to account in many ways for why you see these frequent trips of President Macron uh, to Africa. I think his most recent trip to Gabon, Republic of the Congo, Democratic Republic of the Congo, Angola, etc., may have been his 17th or 18th trip since 2017. And, uh, It might not be outlandish to suggest that Mr. Macron is traveling so frequently to the continent that he may want to sublease an apartment
0: there. (laughs) Yes. Um, To pick up on that, the African countries must Uh, Also be weary not only of giving weapons to Ukraine, which they're trying to be compelled to do, but also strengthening NATO militarily since they've been the victim of multiple Western military incursions. As you pointed out, Mali and Burkina Faso recently threw the French military out of the country, putting an end to France's supposed aid against terrorism. The French President Macron now says the French will act in military partnership with West Africa, even as he tries to extend French influence into Angola and the Democratic Republic of Congo, and as he quotes the revolutionary Thomas Sankara, who the French are suspected of being complicit in killing. Do you see further moves toward military independence in Africa and movement away from the West? Well, certainly that's in motion, but it will not occur without a
1: fierce struggle. I should add to your litany the depredations planned and plotted by the so-called Africa command of the Pentagon, the US military, uh, which is involved in many countries in which uh, France either is or has been involved in. Uh, I'm thinking of their role in Niger, for example. And once again, it's rather curious That at the same time, you have U.S. imperialism and French imperialism uh, complaining about uh, Russia and China and Africa, and yet uh, they have not seen fit to diminish their military ties to Africa. That is to say, they're playing the military card uh, repetitively, I'm afraid to say. And this does not bode well, because... I recall that when you had the attempted coup and real coups that took place in places like Guinea Conakry, a former French colony, that many of the leaders of such coups were actually receiving or had received military training in the United States of America. And so it's very curious that France in particular, which tends to play this role of being the mailed fist of the military on the African continent, at the same time has to rely uh, quite heavily upon U.S. satellite assets in particular in order to play that despicable role. And I think that that compromises the role of French imperialism, not to mention French sovereignty itself, because it makes it very difficult For France, on the one hand, to try to play the role of neo-colonial master in Africa, at the same time, it's heavily dependent in playing that role upon U.S. imperialism. And so, in other quarters, this has a negative downside risk for Paris because it makes it difficult for France to complain when the United States passes an so-called Inflation Reduction Act, which supposedly will attract French industry and European industry across the Atlantic uh, to North America because of the subsidies involved in that legislation, uh, not to mention how it becomes very difficult for France to execute an independent sovereign foreign policy when still maintaining ties to the U.S.-dominated North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which, by the way, it was only recently that President Macron said that NATO was brain-dead. But yet at the same time, in a contradictory fashion, he tends to toe the line of NATO. Uh, This seems to me to be an unsustainable proposition that cannot last
0: indefinitely. Good point. Um, Speaking of... of, uh... Of countries like the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is one of the most mineral-rich of a continent full of minerals, that the the West needs to maintain its dominance, do you see new moves to try to break free of this persistent control and for Africa to refine its own minerals?
1: Yes, those moves are in motion, but it's very difficult because, as you know more than most, uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo was formerly known as the Belgian Congo before the year of independence, speaking of 1960. From the late 19th century up until independence in 1960, it was a kind of private preserve of Brussels, uh, where forced labor was the name of the game and gross exploitation was its frequent companion. Uh, We all know that only recently, the leader of the anti-colonial movement in Congo, speaking of Patrice Lumumba, that the remains of his body were just repatriated back home to the Congo from Belgium. Interestingly enough, the remains in- included, if not exclusively included, uh, one uh, gold tooth because the folks who killed him, including the U.S. CIA chief, Larry Devlin, uh, basically destroyed his body, except for this one tooth, which was recently sent back uh, to his homeland. And that is a metaphor for the uphill struggle that the DRC is presently seeking to mount. Uh, But I remain confident that they will be successful uh, in their campaign uh, because, once again, they have a lot of goodwill uh, from the African Union, uh, from progressive and folks with goodwill in the North Atlantic Bloc, including folks like yourself and myself and so uh i'm I'm confident that the d r c will be able to overcome
0: just to add add a little point to that uh you know when macron was in uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo recently, they asked him to help stop the war with Rwanda, help stop the incursions with Rwanda, and he said, well you know we're really uh we're really inter- not interested in war anymore in Africa you know uh but of course he was interested in invading Mali and uh, Burkina Faso. Uh, so, you know, it's very selective what he isn't interested, is interested. It isn't interested in. Um, Concerning this history of underdevelopment, a popular argument uh, for retaining African art in Western museums is that in the West they're available to the whole world and Africa does not have the showcase for them. This argument is belied by the presence now of major museums in Dakar and Benin and Cape Town with the continent able to draw more tourists as more stolen objects are returned. Isn't this a kind of comment on underdevelopment, where the West loots the artifacts, mineral wealth, musical culture, and you've written about jazz, and then claims it's the best repository for this wealth? It's really ludicrous. It's really ridiculous. And
1: I should also mention that it's not only Africa and its artifacts and patrimony that has been plundered. Uh, Of course, there's an ongoing controversy between Greece and London about London museums uh, containing illicitly the patrimony of Greece. And certainly, as you suggested, uh, if those who make that specious argument were really sincere, well, they would be in the forefront of seeking to build museums in Cape Town, in Dakar, in
0: Benin, uh, where, of course, they have been notoriously absent. Yep. Thanks, Gerald. Okay, so for the last segment here, we're going to play Global Jeopardy. Since with the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, partly because of the possibility of a nuclear conflict because of this war, now moving the doomsday clock ahead to 90 seconds to midnight or planetary destruction, we're now all in Global Jeopardy. It's up to you to pick one category among the ones I will read. We'll look at the answer and together we'll try to form a correct question around this answer since the media often formulates the wrong question. And since in philosophy it's often said the job is to ask the right question. So today's categories are How I Learned to Love the Bomb, It's China's Fault, Civilizing Africa, Oil I Want Is You, and Poopery or Collateral Damage. So you pick one category It's China's Fault. It's China's fault. And the answer is, Muslim Uyghurs, Hong Kong, and Taiwan all have this in common. Well, they're all being targeted now as being
1: sites for alleged Beijing depredations. And of course, Taiwan is the real flashpoint. This is the island off the shores of southern China, a population of about 20 million or so compared to the People's Republic's 1.4 billion. The site of TSMC, a major producer of these computer chips, important for everything from smartphones to increasingly automobiles. Uh, There has been quite a bit of loose talk in Washington of late about a war with China, although the Wall Street Journal just a few days ago reported on its front page that the United States was wholly unprepared for such a conflict. I hope that military planners in the Pentagon read that article, if not the advisors of Mr. Biden and the White House. And once again, to come full circle, uh, many of the leaders and organizations in Africa are not only hotly opposed, needless to say, to what could amount to World War III, uh, but perhaps even more so are hotly opposed to the kind of militarism and jingoism and bellicosity which increasingly is characterizing the policy of the North Atlantic countries towards the People's Republic of China. And once again, uh, there is an apparent fissure uh, between Washington and the European countries. Recall that just a few months ago, Chancellor Schultz in Berlin uh, flew to Beijing with a plane load of businessmen to cut deals with China. At the same time, this rhetoric in Washington was escalating. I have to say, that I referenced here as well, Mr. Schultz's recent visit to Washington, where he flew into town and left within an hour or two, no press conference, and many of us suspected that this is because, increasingly, there are differences of opinion between the so-called allies, and of course, uh, when Mr. Schultz uh, went to China a few months ago, uh, it was expected that in a blockbuster deal that Mr. Macron and French businessmen would accompany him, Mr. Schultz. And I think that this bespeaks the fact that Washington may have difficulty in rounding up a posse to go after the People's Republic of China, particularly to the extent that they're recruiting in Western Europe. And this does not bode well,
0: I'm happy to say, for a new Cold War, not to mention World War III. Very good answer. And I guess the question would be, uh, if we put it in the form of a question, it's what are three hotspots that the U.S. media has created, any one of which the United States would like to, if they can, develop into a confrontation with China? Um, Well, thank you very much, Gerald. Thanks for playing Global Jeopardy. You did very well, which means you get to come back and play Global Jeopardy again. And hopefully we will not be playing Final Jeopardy. And that's it for I Fought the Law. See you next time. And in the meantime, keep fighting.